Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Saturius Johnson. Today, we're rounding out our series on how to hack California's urban centers in San Diego. We start with writer Beth Demon, who covers the immense craft beer scene and shares a few favorite spots that visitors tend to overlook. If you're somebody who is a real beer geek and you want something traditional, you want something Belgian, you want something German, there's going to be a couple places where you can find those really tried and true historical styles. And while San Diego County is known for family-friendly theme parks, there's none quite like the just-opened Sesame Place. Tyler Carter says there's rides, slides, and chances to meet all your favorite Sesame Street characters. The best part was watching the faces of of young kids, of adults, of of younger adults, really walking in and being transported to the Sesame Place neighborhood and really seeing them step into what they've seen growing up on TV their whole lives. After that, Jessica Johnson of Hidden San Diego shares a few secret places not even the locals knew were there, from a quirky sculpture garden to one-of-a-kind speakeasies. That's all coming up on California Now. From craft beer icons like Stone and Ballast Point to enterprising homebrewers who just turned pro, San Diego boasts world-class IPAs and much more. Here to share a few favorite spots around town to grab a drink and a bite is Beth Demon, a writer and journalist who covers San Diego's craft beer scene and runs the newsletter Prohibition. I love that name. Welcome to California Now, Beth. Hey, thanks for having me. So everybody knows San Diego has this reputation as a destination for craft beer. Is it as great as everyone says? It's not just as great as everybody says. I like to think it's even better. There are places here. I mean, you mentioned a couple of the biggies, the OGs, the Stones, the Ballast Points, the Carl Strausses. But with over 150 independent breweries, that's not even counting satellite tap rooms and beer-centric restaurants. We have... Everything the beer drinker and really any drinker at all could want and more. So I think that our reputation and the nickname the capital of craft is well-earned and well-deserved. So you're making it sound like, if anything, uh, San Diego's craft beer scene might still be actually underrated. I'm not sure I would say underrated, but I wouldn't not say it either. Uh, <laughs> it's It's certainly... I think people will find exactly what they're looking for and be surprised along the way. There's definitely something for everyone here. Yeah, you know, I think when a lot of folks, uh, you know, think of beer in California and especially San Diego, the first thing that comes to mind are IPAs. So, you know, do they still dominate the scene? They definitely still dominate the scene. I like to joke that whether you hate hops or love hops, if you come to San Diego, if you're here long enough, you're eventually going to become a hophead just by virtue (laughs) of the fact that they are everywhere and are often very, very good. And so most people think of San Diego as a hub for West Coast IPAs. So you're going to get some real piney, dank, hop notes, super, super hoppy, bitter with a little bit of a citrus tropical finish. And there are certainly a number of places around town who haven't just helped really invent the style, but have become icons of the style, places like North Park Beer Company, McElhenney Brewing, who are the people behind the original Alpine Beer Company, uh, Burgeon, Pizza Port Society. I mean, these are just a few of the obvious ones making West Coast IPAs uh, to name off the top of my head. Right. But in addition to all of those great IPAs, there are many more styles to appreciate, right? 
Oh, sure. We're also a really big logger town. I mean, we're looking at places like Epig that has locations in Vista up at the very tip top of the county, as well as in Point Loma. Even Puesto, which is an upscale Mexican restaurant in the heart of Mission Valley, their brewmaster, Doug Hasker, is arguably the best lager maker in San Diego, if not California at large. And he's been at that location since it was a Gordon Biersch. We've got South Norte's Mexican lagers or whatever they're making at Coronado Brewing. So there's certainly a demand for lagers and there are certainly places to find them. Okay, so let's let's go on like a virtual uh, tour. So so where would you take us for like a fantastic IPA experience? Let's start someplace south of Interstate 8. South of the 8, I'm probably going to start you off at Barrio Logan. It's a majority Hispanic neighborhood, very close to downtown, super easy to get to right off of Interstate 5. And you got to start at Mujeres Brew House. It's a women-led, women-run uh brewery that's right almost in the shadow of the Coronado Bridge across from Chicano Park. And they have been open officially for a little over a year. And they've got IPAs, they've got stouts, they've got micheladas, they've got everything that you need, including tacos. And if you're going to be in Barrio Logan, you have to get tacos. So (laughs) Anywhere along Logan Avenue is going to be great. You're going to stop at Salud. You're going to stop at the Barrio Food Hub. You're going to get some more beers at Border X Brewing. And I think a spot that a lot of people don't know about, Hayes Burger. It's what I like to say, it's In-N-Out. But if In-N-Out was actually good, I know that's terrible. (laughs) That's terrible to say as a Californian. But uh, I mean, the French fries speak for themselves. So. Uh We got to start at Barrio Logan for sure. That's great. It sounds like uh, it's all in one kind of walkable area. It's it's walkable in terms of distance. It is uh, a little bit industrial, but certainly walkable, especially if you're going to be enjoying beers at a number of locations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What What else sticks out about the neighborhood? Like, is there an art scene worth checking out or... Oh, sure. I mean, Chicano Park, the murals, those are icons of the neighborhood. They're very recognizable. There's lowrider parades that go on almost all the time. I mean, you can certainly check those out most weekends. Great food, great culture, great art, great music. And that's really just the starting point. If you even just go a couple of miles further south to National City, that's really up and coming with developments like Market on 8th, where you're going to have ramen shops. You're going to have Novo Brazil Brewing has a has a tap room there. You've got Machete Beer House, which is one of the first beer bars in South Bay. And e- even looking further to Chula Vista, very underrated. You know, a lot of people joke that the real San Diego doesn't start until you do get below the 8 freeway, until you get that that nice little sandwich between the 8 freeway and the border. Yeah. And it, it's a whole world where people, if you don't live there, you seem to forget about it. And that's to that's their loss because Chula Vista's got Chula Vista Brewery and Three Punk Ales right off of 3rd Avenue, well, right on 3rd Avenue, which is the main drag. You've got Tavern at the Vogue and a bunch of other places that are getting ready to open their doors in the next year or two. So South Bay Rising is a hashtag that we've been using around here for a couple of years, and it's certainly coming to fruition. Okay, so if I wanted to, to experience the South Bay... Take me to one or two places that you think I really should hit and and maybe, uh, you know, some what, what, what I should order. 
Well, if you're going to Three Punk Ales, you've got to get some of their Pilsners. You've got to get some of their hoppy stuff. Chula Vista Brewery is going to be the same sort of thing. It's it's not just IPAs because South Bay, they know their market. It's very hyper-local. It's a lot of Mexican-Americans. It's a lot of Chicano influence. And so they're going to have things like lagers, blondes, things that are a little bit easier to drink that aren't so aggressively bitter. And, you know, if you're going to Tavern at the Vogue, you've got to get their pretzels. It's Hmm. kind of a, a German influenced beer forward restaurant that's that's run by locals who have been part of the food and drink scene for I mean generations as far as I know so that's kind of fun to get it uh, out of the traditional pub fare and into something very very Chula Vista specific yeah yeah I, you know I'm, I'm partial to the Pilsner so it sounds like my kind of place Oh, you sure you, you won't be disappointed. There's no doubt. <laughs> okay, so now let's go someplace totally different. Your choice. I think we should go all the way up to North County. The one thing that I think people don't realize is that when we talk about the San Diego craft beer scene, it's not just the city of San Diego. It's really the county of San Diego. So if we're going all the way up to Oceanside, which is the very top of the county, I mean, that's you know 60 miles away from the border. And Oceanside specifically is very up and coming, both in food and drink. And the nice thing is it's super walkable. The name says it all. It's Oceanside. It's beachfront (laughs) stuff. And even better, if you don't live in that area, the coaster goes straight up there. There's a bunch of different stops. The coasters, the the train that runs along the ocean. Mm, I mean, mm. you hop on the coaster and it's something like five bucks for a round trip ticket for the day and you're good to go. So, so, okay. So, so talk to me about what, once I get up to Oceanside, what am I, what am I going to order? What am I looking out for? Well, I think the first stop, whether you drink beer or you're just looking for a bite, it's got to be Bagby Beer Company. It's very close to the coaster, just a couple of blocks off the off the stop up there. And it's run by exactly what you mentioned, a decorated home brewer who turned pro many years ago and is arguably one of the best brewers in town. And they've got unbelievably great innovative beers, uh, kind of those, those esoteric new school styles, as well as a ton of traditional things that you aren't going to see everywhere. Things like alt beers, Keller beers, and stuff for the beer nerd, as well as the new to beer drinker. Their food is top notch stuff. I mean, it's a great family-friendly place, amazing patio, right there in the heart of Oceanside. And that's, to me, just a huge staple of the Oceanside community. Mm, What do you like to order when it comes to food? Well, I'm kind of basic, and I think their French fries, loaded or not, are just, like, not to be missed. Mm. Is that place, like, right on the ocean as well, or are you a little further inland? When you get to Bagby, it's a it's a couple of blocks off the ocean. But if you start heading towards really the main drag of Oceanside, Mission Avenue, you're going to hit another great brewery with amazing tacos, Craft Coast. Their brewer is a Pizza Port alum. They've got birria tacos that will rival any of those in TJ, Tijuana, if you're mm. unfamiliar. <laughs> and their beers are unbelievable. It's, again, you're talking San Diego, so it's going to be pretty hop forward, pretty hop heavy. But same thing, they're going to have the lighter styles for those who want something to complement what sometimes is a heavy taco. So Craft Coast is going to be another spot that's right there in the heart of Oceanside that's a little bit closer to the water. And if you're still, for some reason, hungry or in your <laughs> you're in the mood for something else. Northern Pine Brewing, they actually have an in-house barbecue restaurant that, 
I mean, I'm a Virginian. I know barbecue. And so <laughs> I I can vouch for that. And it's a great place. I like to get a flight there because you got to try it all. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really the best way to go because, uh, you know, how else can you experience all of the unique, uh, you know, brews that they have on tap? You can't. So if if they offer a flight, I recommend it. Absolutely. And, you know, up there in Oceanside, the, the pier there is a landmark uh, that I think is probably worth checking out, too. Right. Yeah. And that's just a couple of blocks from most of these places. So if you're looking to, you know, get the blood pumping a little bit after you've had a few pints, head into the pier to watch watch the legendary green flash. If you can catch that. Watching the sunset over the Pacific, I mean, it's it's a great spot for families. It's a great spot for couples. It's a great spot for anybody. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's make one more stop. Um, what's another underrated beer neighborhood in San Diego County? I'm going to take you to next to North Park, because when people talk about San Diego, they think North Park for good reason. There's a lot there. But Right north of it is Adams Avenue, and the main street through North Park is 30th. And I mean, if you're going to go to one street in San Diego to eat and drink, it's going to be 30th. Hmm. But a lot of people, when they're heading north, they stop at Adams. That's ridiculous. You should be starting at Adams. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the University Heights, Normal Heights, Kensington, Main Drag, it's you could start on either end and and have an amazing experience. So I'm going to take you from University Heights and head east on Adams. Start at Kairoa Brewing Company. It's all New Zealand centric. Again, their french fries are insane. Their fried chicken sandwich is insane. Their brunch is amazing. And they're really known beer wise for their hazies. You got to start there and then hit brunch at Madison on Park. They also have unbelievable cocktails. And if you're not looking for something as upscale as Madison on Park, on the corner, right there, Lancers. It's one of the best dive bars in the city. You got, you're drinking Miller High Life there, so it's not necessarily <laughs> San Diego craft beer centric, but right. it's a good it's a good little watering hole if you uh-huh. want to. Uh, take a break from from the real crafty stuff but there's there's a ton of places along adams i mean there's the rabbit hole sycamore den again one of the best places for cocktails you can get blind lady alehouse they've got a brewery in-house automatic brewing as well as some of the best pizza in town Hmm. uh and then if you're looking for the best margarita in san diego i stand by it cantina mayuel it's right there almost on the corner where 30th meets adams i mean it's just unbeatable they also have a great mezcal menu so if you're thirsty looking for some libations don't stop when you hit Adams. Start on Adams Avenue and you will not be disappointed. That's a great tip. I mean, it's pretty it's it's amazing that there's this whole strip that is kind of almost, you know, not really known uh, because it's overshadowed by so many other great places. But you're saying this is the place to start. 30th certainly has earned its reputation, but I would hate for people to miss what is just as good and a little bit different, a little bit less crowded, a little bit less touristy. I hate to use that word as somebody who lived in North Park for 10 years, but it's also walkable. It's one street. It's about a mile stretch and you've got everything you need and more. So, Beth, you say, you know, the the Strip is a very walkable area. Um, are there other things to do there, uh, like maybe window shop? 
Oh, definitely. There's a bunch of independent boutiques all along Adams. One of the first ones that pops to mind is Maven, and that is right on the corner of 30th and Adams. And then I I almost hate to like talk about this because it's kind of a secret that I've kept to myself. There's <laughs> like unbelievable ice cream in mm. that area. Stella Jeans is my number one favorite. It's right there on Park on the other sort of west end of, of Adams when you're heading heading back down towards like Balboa Park and the zoo. Stella Jeans is unbelievable, but right there on Adams is Ons Dry Cleaning. Don't let the name fool you. Mm. It is an ice cream shop. It is unbelievable. <laughs> and then a little bit further east on Adams is Mariposa. And it's one of the real hidden gems in San Diego. You might have seen it on Veronica Mars. You might not have, but mm -hmm. if you head down there, it's been a community staple for something like 50 years. I don't even know. I mean, it's been there forever and I hope that it stays there forever. Mm, well, that's important because like, you know, for as much as anyone loves beer, it's always nice to have a little dessert at the end of the night, right? You gotta, you gotta just finish the night off sweet. That's what I always say. <laughs> so, you know, for, for people who really know their beer, is there, you know, a different way to kind of approach San Diego County, like uh, if you definitely want to experience a certain kind of beer, is there a way to kind of like break it down for people? Definitely. And I like to think of it in in kind of two ways. Like if you're somebody who is a real beer geek and you want something traditional, you want something Belgian, you want something German, there's going to be a couple places where you can find those really tried and true historical styles. I mean, right off the bat, we've got Alesmith Brewing in Miramar. It's a gigantic location. They're known for Speedway Stout. They've got English styles. They have some of these experimental American styles, the real hoppy stuff, but they're going to have a tap list that really runs the gamut for the beer geek. We've got the Lost Abbey, Def Brewing in Bay Park, they focus on Belgian styles. And one of my favorite memories from very early in the pandemic was going and getting a crowler of their Belgian single, double, triple, and quad. And I didn't drink them all in one day, but <laughs> that's one of the only places in San Diego where you can get a lineup like that of, of strictly Belgian beers. So San Diego does lean a lot towards the really hoppy stuff, but these are a couple of no-brainers for the high-quality styles that are a little bit more traditional. Well, you know, this is also great. I, there's so much to do, and it's wonderful that you can kind of go in as a newbie, but also, you know, be so appreciative of what's on offer if you're like a real purist, too. It's like there's there's something for everyone. Absolutely. And what I like to say is if you don't know where to start, just start at the place that's closest to you, and you'll probably find something you like. Yeah, that's great. You know, Beth, I mentioned your your newsletter, Prohibition, um, which I, I love that name. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. It's a monthly interview series that features a different woman or non-binary person working in beverage alcohol anywhere in the world, really trying to focus on the diversity of voices and roles across beverage alcohol, not just owners and brewers, but people who are behind the scenes or working to educate other people, founders, uh, any anything like that. So really trying to spotlight people who haven't seen the spotlight and really should. And that's on Substack. It's free to subscribe and read, and it's spelled exactly how it sounds. Prohibition. <laughs> well, Beth, this has been so great. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Beth Demon is a writer, journalist, and podcaster who covers the craft beer scene in San Diego. 
She's on Twitter at DelightedBite, and you can find her newsletter at prohibition.substack.com. We'll be back with more of what's new and surprising in San Diego in a moment. This is California Now. If you're enjoying this episode, be sure and check out the whole California Now podcast archive. In the last few years, I've interviewed hundreds of fascinating Californians, including athletes like legendary rock climber Kevin Jorgensen and gold medal skier Johnny Mosley, and celebrated chefs like Tanya Holland and Curtis Stone. The best way to find these episodes and many more is to subscribe. You gain access to our entire back catalog so you can choose the episodes that interest you most. Plus, new episodes will be delivered straight to you as soon as they go live. Just go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to the California Now podcast. Thanks. San Diego has long been a top-tier destination for families, and recently it took the fun factor to a whole new level. Today, we're going to talk about the newly opened Sesame Place San Diego, the West Coast's first Sesame Street theme park. Along with rides and slides and parades, it gives kids of all ages a chance to meet Elmo, Big Bird, and the rest of the gang. Tyler Carter is Vice President of Operations for Sesame Place San Diego. Welcome to California Now, Tyler. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. So, you know, Sesame Place San Diego, it's the first of its kind on the West Coast, but it's building on on a proven success. What can you tell me about that? Absolutely. So our uh, Sesame Place here in San Diego was based off of our sister park in Sesame Place, Philadelphia, which opened over 42 years ago. Um, This is an iconic destination location for families across the country. And so we're so excited to be joining them uh, with a park here on the West Coast. Yeah. And the the park is located in Chula Vista and that's, that's south of downtown San Diego, right? Correct. Yeah. It's about 10 miles south of downtown San Diego. Yeah, and let's touch on your on your role briefly. What is, does being vice president of operations mean? Like, what do you do day to day? Sure. So uh, I would say the funnest part is every day is different. Um, there's pieces involved with coordinating with our entertainment teams on new shows and parades, working with our food and beverage, our culinary operations, our merchandise on what product and food we're going to sell, um, leading our guest-facing operations teams. Um, really, every day is kind of looking at the park as a whole and finding out what our next steps are, as well as planning what the future of the park is going to look like. It sounds like your job is a lot of fun, especially when the planning parts and coming up with different shows and things like that. You must ha- you must be having a ball. Absolutely. I think it's it's one of the coolest things I've gotten to do so far. Um, and again, being part of such an iconic brand and, and really a, a park that we consider to be an icon here now in, in San Diego County, um, it's, it's super exciting and an honor to be a part of. All right. So, Tyler, the park o- opened in March. Uh, were you there for opening day? I was, yeah. So we officially opened on March 26th. Um, We had a a great day. Our guests were excited. They were decked out in their best Sesame Place gear. Um, (laughs) And it was so exciting getting to really interact in a a special way with our guests um, because there's such a huge brand recognition across really all ages of the family. Yeah. So what was it like to see families actually experiencing the park for the first time? I think the the best part was watching the faces of of young kids, of adults, of of younger adults really walking in and being transported to the Sesame Place neighborhood and really seeing them step into what they've seen growing up on TV their whole lives. It tro- it totally felt like they were really dropped in and immersed in a in a new area that they weren't expecting. Um so it was amazing to see. Yeah, I can imagine. That's really cool. Um were there any surprises that day? 
I think uh, as you think about the, the biggest surprise for us was really how many guests were going to be all in with their existing um, Sesame branded gear. So there was kids dressed as Cookie Monster. I had a Cookie hmm. Monster shirt on. Um, so it was fun watching them not only interact with us, but also watching them interact with their favorite character. We didn't expect the guests to really um, dive all in with how they dress themselves coming to this park. Yeah, that's really fun. Um, so, so paint a word picture for me. Like, what do I see first when I walk through the gate? Sure. So when you first walk in, um, you are you are directly in the Sesame Street neighborhood, featuring the iconic one, two, three stoop. Um, directly in front of you as you walk past the turnstile is actually our sunny day carousel. So it's a live active carousel. Big Bird's there. He's watching. Um, vibrant colors, high energy, um, kind of the first things you see and experience as you walk in. So as I, as I get a little deeper into the park, wh what are some of the other uh, you know activities I can do or things I can see? So um, where you first are transported to, again, in the, the Sesame Street uh, neighborhood um, is also where the kickoff of our Sesame Street party parade is from. Um, so that's where the parade steps off. Uh, we have multiple parades throughout the day. And as you turn the corner and get deeper in, you're going to see a variety of what we call dry rides, like our super boxcar derby roller coaster and a mix of, uh, of slides also. So we've got the wet and the dry for you to experience. So how, how large of a park is it? A total of 17 acres as the park as a whole. Um, and if you've ever been to Aquatica prior, um, it was very, it was pushed back with just slides all around. We found ways to layer in new experiences like our, um, again, the seven new dry rides that we've added to the experience, the parade route that wasn't there before. Um, we've really been able to to use this space um, and, and add a lot more. We have a stage for a stage show that was added in as well. Um, so there's a variety of pieces that we've been able to add with it. So it sounds as it sounds like as you're walking around the park, there really is like no shortage of chances for folks to get better acquainted with their favorite Sesame Street characters. Absolutely. So um, we intentionally have meet and greet space throughout the park. Um, we're going to have a stage show that's in one corner of the park that's separate from the parade. And then again, as you see the slides and the rides, the vibrant colors will totally bring you back to what you know from 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 Sesame Street. Now, now, on opening day, was, was there anything that, you know, even if you kind of knew what to expect, you still felt wowed or impressed by? I think how many guests love going on water slides. Um, really, the no matter what the weather is, um, it's so cool having a park that's a mix of, of dry rides and wet rides, how guests can really plan out their day and do the best of both worlds at once. Um, kids love a cold water slide no matter what time it is. Um, and there's not many parks where you can really experience the water elements and the dry elements in the same day. Um, mm -hmm. It's something that really sets apart. Or we've got a lazy river that you can lounge in. We've got a wave pool. Um, there's a variety of options to really maximize your day for you. Wow, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, tell me a little bit about the parade and the shows that are that you have going on there. Sure. So um, our, our Sesame Place Parade is is really, it's a it's a fan favorite. It's an iconic parade. It's high energy. Um, it's got a, a show stop for our guests to really experience and interact with our characters. Um, it's called, uh, again, the Sesame Street Party Parade. So that features, it's on the entire, really, the, the main street of Sesame Street neighborhood. Um, but then we also have our all-new show, Welcome to Our Street, um, which includes a variety of our characters. It's a 20-minute, um, you really want to get up and dance while you're, <laughs> while you're watching that show. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Um, have you, uh, you know, we talked about the rides. I mean, have you personally had the chance to try out any of the rides? And if so, um, tell us about a favorite one or two. 
I have, yeah. So I've gotten to do all of the rides so far. Um, my personal favorite, because I am a coaster enthusiast, and even though mm -hmm. it's a junior coaster that's family-friendly, um, our Super Grover's Boxcar Derby is a race to the finish line. Um, it truly has wow moments for, for everyone, no matter what seat you're in. Um, I would say my other favorite is our soar and spin. Um, it's like kind of like a flying teacup in the sky. Um, uh -huh. And so it's so cool spinning around as quick as you can um, while also getting to to some lower heights, um, which are super cool. That's really fun. I mean, you know, it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it, right? I, someone's got to test these rides. So if, <laughs> if I have to, if I have to, I could figure out. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if I'm planning a trip, I mean, should I pack a swimsuit and sunscreen when I'm headed there? It sounds like if I want to get on the wet rides, probably a swimsuit's not a bad idea. Absolutely. So I, I would bring, again, your full swim gear. So swimsuits, towels, um, sunscreen. We do sell towels, swimsuits, and sunscreen at the location. Um, but we also have changing rooms available for anyone that wants to do part of their day in the water and part of the day um, in the, the dry rides. We've really got something for both. We also sell cabanas. If someone wants a, a local location to keep all of their items, um, where we have cabana service that goes to. Um, so really, you should prepare for both. Um, the mm -hmm. slides are great. Um, really, really a lot of fun. So it sounds like a lot of the rides are tailored to a younger audience. Is that right? They are. Yeah, I think um, when you think family friendly, I think you you kind of jump initially to, oh, they're all just just kids rides. Um, but really, some of them are are kind of that mix where even being an adult, I have just as much fun climbing to the top of Cookies Climb. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's really it's meant for all ages, um, which is the great part of it. Yeah, yeah. Will the park be appealing to teens and tweens as well? Absolutely. I think that that's definitely where a lot of our water slides come into play. Um, my personal favorite is Honker Dinger Dash, where you where you jump into some some kind of fast speeds. You can race five of your friends down. Um, we also have our Cookie Monster Mix, which is a, a larger tube slide attraction. Um, perfect for teens, tweens, young adults. Um, the water really has that element for them. You know, this being a, a huge attraction for early childhood audiences, how have you made efforts to make sure it's an, ex an inclusive experience? So I think that's a it's a great segue to the fact that we are also a certified autism center. So all of our um, ambassadors, so our team members, go through um, autism sensitivity and awareness training. Um, and so it's it's nice that we have that ability to really help our ambassadors understand how to meet the needs of every single one of our guests. Um, we also have quiet rooms available. And then as you talk about, again, like the younger crowds, we have changing rooms. For our, our guests with disabilities, we have um, sensory guides for our rides and for our slides. And we have a sensory guide on our website that really helps you plan out what the best pieces of the day are for you to experience or for elements like our show and our parade. We have separate viewing that is for them also. Um, but we've taken a huge pride in our training that we've given to all of our ambassadors to really be equipped to deliver the best guest experience. That's really great. And as far as, you know, the autism training that you give to uh, your ambassadors, I, I mean, I, I think I read somewhere that it's the, is it is Sesame Place San Diego, the first certified autism centered theme park in in the area? Correct. Yes, it's the it's the first of its kind in this area. And so, again, another huge thing for us to be proud of. Um, a lot of effort has gone in to make sure that all of our team members, all of our ambassadors truly understand. But we are the only one of its kind in San Diego County. Now, Tyler, Sesame Place San Diego is affiliated with SeaWorld, I understand. So are there any kind of deals I can get in on to kind of maybe visit both parks? 
Absolutely. So we are excited to welcome guests to both of our parks. So we do offer kind of a variety of options, but our best value would be our two park pass um, where you get to visit a day at each park. Um, and there's always new offers um, on our website. So I'd recommend checking out either the SeaWorldSanDiego.com website or the SesamePlaceSanDiego.com to see the best really for deals for both park passes, season passes, tickets, everything will be found there. Now, you know, from a, a merchandise perspective, I imagine this is probably a pretty tough place for fans of Sesame Street to leave empty handed. I, I don't even know if it's possible to leave empty handed. <laughs> I'm going to be fully honest. I got to bring my mom to the park and then I, I left her in the store for five minutes and I came back and she was getting a variety of different plushes and towels. Because um, you think <laughs> about it, it resonates with all generations and it resonates all across a variety of people. And so um, the, the merchandise is so vibrant and colorful and recognizable that you want to buy that plush or that magic wand. Um, it's nostalgic for the adults. And so it really brings them back to their childhood. Um, and as really, it brings back great memories. Um, so the store is a great place to be. Well, I can tell. And Tyler, this has been so great. Thanks so much for joining us on California Now. Absolutely. And we look forward to seeing you all down at our park soon. Sounds good. Tyler Carter is Vice President of Operations for Sesame Place San Diego. Online, visit sesamiplace.com. As always, we'll have links to all the places we talked about on today's episode and lots more on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. With its perfect weather, incredible food and drinks, and fascinating history, San Diego is an easy place to be amazed. And for explorers veering off the beaten path, my next guest says the rewards are many. Jessica Johnson is the creator of Hidden San Diego, billed as your go-to place to find hidden, haunted, interesting, and adventure-worthy places and things to do. Welcome to California Now, Jessica. Thank you for having me. So it seems like Hidden San Diego combines a bunch of your interests and skills all in one place. Um, how did it get started? That is, that is true. It's literally combine, combining all of my skills. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it started in 2010. This was before the huge social media boom where everyone's posting about their hikes and all of that. And simultaneously, I'm going out on all these adventures and finding just all these beautiful, wonderful things to do for all different types of people. You know, there's something for everyone out there. So I, at the time, was kind of playing around with learning how to build websites, which I am not great at doing at all. You know, I had a little expertise on that. So I built a website. I, I loved photography. So I was taking the photos. I had taken a Photoshop class, you know, so I had all of that skill. And I've always loved writing. So I'm like, all right, let's do this. Um, and I, you know, I make everything categorized by town and also by different categories such as wine and dine, kid friendly, dog friendly. And I just wanted it to be the ultimate adventures guide beyond the zoo, beyond SeaWorld. And like, let's really get into the deep dig of each town, also the history of it. And just it's taken off from there. So, you know, it seems like a big theme of Hidden San Diego is, is really highlighting this is not a boring place. Yeah, when people sometimes write me and they'll be like, so, you know, what are your like top places that you recommend? And I'm like, honestly, I recommend everything on my website or it would not be on there. Everything is unique in its own way, whether it's a garden or an underground tunnel or something haunted. Everything is recommended by me. So let's check out a few spots. I mean, where did Hidden San Diego get its start and uh, what do you like to wow people with there? It first started, it first was inspired when I was living in Escondido which is in North County, North County, San Diego. 
ironically, Escondido translates to hidden. Huh. It literally means hidden. That's great. <laughs> and there are so many hidden places in Escondido, you know, so it really does live up to its name. So I wanted to share maybe a few that I recommend exploring if you are going to Escondido just for a day and yeah. kind of want variety. Um, the first one is called Queen Califia's Magical Circle Garden. And what's so funny is when I first learned about it, as far as I know, there had been zero advertising for it at that point. It's in, it's hidden in like kind of the back, back wooded area of a park called Kit Carson Park, which ironically I played softball at growing up. I know this park really, really well. And one day we're like, well, you know, there's some trails around there. Let's do the back trails. And so we're hiking around and suddenly... There's this whole mosaic wonderland out there. It is huge. <laughs> it's a huge maze. It's like, where did this come from? <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then doing my research is when I learned that it's uh, it was created by a lady named Nikki Saint De Fall, and this is she's she's a famous artist from I think like the mid 1900s, and she was really groundbreaking during her time. She was like she was a feminist and trying to you know kind of shock people with her art mm -hmm. but it's one of the only large-scale sculpture gardens in um one of four in the world and the only one in the u.s by her yeah and i've seen you know i've seen photos of it online and it seems oh, like nice. just impossible anyone would leave their phone in their pocket in a place like this i mean it's just like you got to take photos of what what's going on there Oh, it's like every color of the rainbow, every spectrum, you know, it's just you look up close and everything is made out of little broken pieces of glass or stones, a lot of different gems. I mean, I can only imagine the value of this thing. It's just it is immense. The way I'm describing it, it's definitely one of those things that you have to see in person. Yeah. So okay, that's a great place to start out. Where else in Escondido should we go? So the next spot I was going to recommend is called Felicita Park. Um, it just doesn't feel like you're in Escondido, definitely. It kind of feels like, if anything, you're more like in the, in the mountains of San Diego. It's very, very lush. It's green all year long due to all the oak trees, heavily shaded. But um, what really makes it special is it's one of the oldest Native American villages in all of San Diego. And it's actually named after a woman named Felicita La Chapa, who was the daughter of the chief who used to live there. And there's old, you can find the grinding holes in the ground and there'll be little interpretive signs saying this was their outdoor oven. And even though it's been on my website for years, you know, it's out there on social media. Every time I go there, there's still barely anyone there. You really get just a lot of alone time. Great for meditation or just clearing your brain. That's really cool. So when you say it's a, you know, a, a village, it's kind of the former site of a village. There aren't any structures there or anything. At there's today. no remaining structures. Right, no. right. So that sounds yeah. really peaceful, though. Yeah. That sounds really interesting. Um, all right, so let's check out another place, uh, maybe somewhere east. Deserts are a perennial fascination on our show here. Uh, so what's a desert favorite that you like to highlight? So I love uh, the town of Hakumba, which I believe is called, uh, considered the high desert of San Diego because it actually gets snow there, which I've never been there when it's snowing, but just to see photos of the, high, of the desert with snow is really unique. There is so much to do out here. Just the, the highway alone will take you upon just so much history, ton of abandoned houses, which look really neat for photography and just to drive by. But if you keep taking the road, um, to it's called Inkopa, I N K O P 
P-A-H, those are three words, you're going to, you'll eventually get to a place called the Desert View Tower. Mm. And the Desert View Tower, I believe, was built in the 1920s, kind of as a side road attraction for people that are making their way in between Arizona and San Diego. But it's five stories. And the, the, guy that currently owns it now he's really into oddities he he must be kind of an eccentric character i think because the whole you you pay a couple dollars and you get a walk up to the top and every single layer is like a spiral staircase that you're going on and then you get to hang out on each level Uh they're just filled with oddities (laughs) a lot of artifacts a lot of you know natural items it's really really remarkable up there yeah it sounds like another like incredible place to take photos yeah so here's what's also fun on the same road as Incopa. It's a very small road, but as you're driving up, you'll probably notice some flying saucers. Oh, really? (laughs) Um, And it's called Coyote, and there might be a sign that says Coyote's UFO Repair Shop. (laughs) And um, because this whole area is kind of a side road attraction, you know, and so he's monetizing off that too slightly with the donation box. But he took... um, I think they're kind of like golf carts maybe, but you can't tell it's a golf cart. And he put a huge flying saucer on top of it so it's like a flying saucer on wheels and he'll take people for rides on them but they completely light up and at night for the passerbys on highway 8 i guarantee if you're really tired driving by and he's riding that thing at night it will look like a flying saucer that's just floating (laughs) along um and he's made an outdoor movie theater onto a huge like projected onto a huge boulder and just, yeah, he's a really, really unique character. He goes by the name Coyote. Right, right. Okay, so that's the desert. We're, while we're talking about hidden places and maybe getting uh, a little thirsty doing all this exploring, are there hidden places you particularly recommend for beverages? Yeah, so I, one of my favorite things ever are speakeasies, um, which when that first came around, I was like, oh my God, this is so awesome. I can't believe these exist. And now they're sprouting up all over, which I still think is awesome because they all have such unique concepts. Um, so the first one I wanted to talk about is a place called Raised by Wolves. It's in La Jolla, <laughs> and it's in a place that is just so unhidden. It's in the UTC Mall, and it's almost like, why would they even think of doing it there? But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter because once you're in it, you're completely transported in, into a whole new realm. Um, so when you first get there, the the forefront, the storefront mimics a 1920s liquor store. And they even have um, some bottles that value at $30,000. So they have a lot of like really rare bottles and you can purchase any of them. And then you'll also notice that there's a fireplace with two chairs. You obviously, you need to make reservations. You can't just sit on the chairs. But once you make a reservation with the hostess, she'll seat you at, at the fire mantle on the chairs. And then the whole room spins kind of like, you know, all those cool movies mm-hmm. and it takes you into a whole new world. And it just, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. It's very dimly lit. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Disney's Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a theme of dog, like canines. So, but they're all kind of like Renaissance paintings on the walls of them. <laughs> and um, the bathrooms are wild. It's just, yeah, it's really Really beautiful, really well done. The kind of place that I hope sticks around. You can have your drink in a skull. <laughs> it's just, it's fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Any favorite drinks that you recommend while I'm there? I always tell them, I kind of give the bartender an idea of what I like, and then I tell them to make something on their own. So I like egg yolk in it. 
stuff like that. I'm like, or make it smoking, something that's like really photographic <laughs> so I can photograph it. Um, and yeah, I've had some really unique drinks, things that are like literally on fire. Oh, that's stuff. funny. So <laughs> it's a lot of fun. That's great. That's great. Uh, wh- what's another speakeasy you're fond of? Okay, so another speakeasy that I would recommend is um, Central San Diego, and it's in the Convoy District, which is pretty much like all Asian-inspired Asian businesses, Asian cuisine. They've got really great Korean spas there. If you're into that thing, I highly recommend them. But they've also got another speakeasy called uh, the Realm of 52 Remedies, and it's hidden inside a restaurant called Common Theory. So once you get there, you might notice this glowing white door, which you're like, what is that all about? <laughs> so, you know, you've got, you have to speak to the, the hostess before you can go through and then she will let you in. And once you go through the door, um, you're in what's supposed to mimic um, an old ancient uh, apothecary. And there's a wall, the walls filled with all of these Chinese herbs. Hmm. And there's an ancient manuscript written on the wall. And eventually she'll kind of um, like wave her hand against one of these doors and then it magically opens and <laughs> takes you into the actual speakeasy, which is also Asian inspired. There's big lotus shaped booths and there's a lot of beads hanging. They, they do sell food also. Um, I ordered a drink called the Opium Den, which <laughs> was literally smoking because like I was saying, um, I always want to get the most unique drinks. And that was my first time having a smoking drink. It had kind of like a very leathery flavor to it, like impartial because of the smoke. Mm-hmm. It was just, yeah, it was really unique. Cool. Um, and yeah, there's sculptures. It just really, really well done on the decor. If you're into that kind of stuff, highly, highly recommend. So just Jessica, I'd love to hear your advice for the, the been there, done that crowd who think they've seen everything there is to see in San Diego County. So, you know... I've lived here for almost 40 years. Um, I have a lot of old timers that have lived here for like 60, 70 years. And they are constantly telling me I'm posting stuff that they've never heard of their entire life. And I'm being surprised all the time. Every week I'm going to a new place. I'm like, how did I know this exists? (laughs) There are so many different streets, old dusty roads throughout San Diego County. There's no way you can possibly explore it all. Um, I recommend just first kind of navigating through your own neighborhood, do neighborhood walks. You'd be surprised just finding little trails within your neighborhood alone you maybe never knew or really unique homes because there's a lot of those out there. There's a lot of Victorian homes, for instance, um, more near the outskirts of downtown. So, yeah, just kind of just learn about your surroundings and never give up your childlike curiosity because that's what will keep it all alive and help you find new places. Well, Jessica, this has been so great. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now. Yeah, thank you for having me. Jessica Johnson runs the website Hidden San Diego online at hiddensandiego.net and on Instagram at Hidden San Diego. This is California Now. Thank you for listening to California Now. We hope to see you in the Golden State soon. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. You can find our show on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was jam-packed with suggestions from San Diego County locals, from the best craft breweries in Oceanside to some truly quirky spots out in the desert. We love recommendations from area experts, and we've collected hundreds of insider tips from folks who live up and down the state. It's all part of the Locals content series on Visit California's website, 
a collection of articles showcasing some of the state's best hidden gems. Check it out online at visitcalifornia.com locals. That's visitcalifornia.com locals.